Back on A New Breed of Golf, Michael Breed, Greg Ducharm. Our email address is anewbreedofgolf at michaelbreed.com. And make sure when you send those emails, you include a telephone number. We're loving reaching out to you, so please allow us to do that. We welcome to the show now the chief business officer for the Symmetra Tour, and he's been doing that since 2012, Mike Nichols. Mike, good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Thank you for coming on. I, I can only imagine how, how uh, challenging this, this situation is, this time period is for you and the concern, and we've talked with Mike Juan um, about this a lot, as you have the concern for, hey, we want to get our players playing, but at the same time, we want to make sure that they're healthy. Just give us an idea of those decisions that, that weigh into your abilities to go, okay, you know what, we're good to go, we're going to play next week, even though you're not playing next week, but just give us an idea as to what that decision-making process is all about. Sure. Well, you know, first and foremost, we're going to be reliant on sort of the what the recommendations are, obviously on a national level, but in many cases on the state and local level in terms of the municipalities where we're playing. So, um, you know, we were originally looking to uh, start the Symmetra Tour season. We'd uh, we played in Florida one week and we're looking to play a couple of weeks in California and uh, that's where it, it, obviously the the time that we were looking to play there in March was when this was all sort of going down. And so within about a week or so of looking to play, it was uh, it was looking like we were going to be ready to go. And then all of a sudden sort of the state shut down. So obviously we'll look to that. But in terms of a week to week basis and, you know, uh, hopefully you and your uh, listeners will forgive me. We're we're probably about eight weeks out as we sit here right now from when uh, the Symmetra Tour season is uh, looking to kick off the first week in July right after uh, the 4th of July. But what we're going to do is on a week-to-week basis when players and sort of all of those in, in uh, close proximity to the players throughout the week, so our staff, uh, any caddies, and the players will all be tested at the beginning of the week. So one of the reasons that we've pushed out the uh, schedule a little bit is to uh, look for the making sure that the tests will be available and um, they're the kinds that, that can be done in sort of 15 minutes as opposed to waiting 45 you know, 48 hours to get them back from the lab. And then after that point, what we'll do is we'll have uh, on-site uh, due to a partnership, thanks to a partnership with uh, NEC, we'll have temperature testing for that same group of folks who have been, who have gone through the testing at the at the beginning of the week. So, you know, the challenge with testing is, uh, as we like to say, is it's really one moment in time. Like as soon as you, you have that test, you're good until, you know, you go off site and go grab lunch at Subway or Chipotle or whatever the case might be. So we're hoping that, you know, by having the, the temperature testing in there, that we have some sort of uh, stop points along the way and checkpoints to be able to, uh, you know, keep everybody safe. And as you start to look at keeping everybody safe, obviously the question is not just the safety of the, the, the individuals that are involved in the tournament when they're on the tournament grounds, but to your point, when they go to go get uh, lunch off property or when they're traveling to get to the tournament site. And what I would imagine is, is that there are some protocols, but there's got to be some things that, that you all have thought about that are sort of difficult uh, hurdles for you to jump. One of them, I would think, would be the, the travel on, on the planes, the, the rental cars, the, the just the to and from one tournament to another tournament. And as, as you all have sat down in your meetings, what are some of the concerns away from the property or away from tournament to tournament, but, you know, not, not within the tournament itself, but from the end of one tournament to the beginning of another tournament? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that's obviously a concern. And, and not, you know, it's uh, if, if we get to a point where there's no risk to anybody, no one will ever leave the house. So at some level, you know, there's going to be some risk yep. of all of us going back to daily life. So that's just something that we're all going to have to deal with. But we feel like by, you know, at the beginning of each week, having this testing that happens, you know, when players first arrive on site and if they and if they test positive, they'll be withdrawn from that tournament. And the, the subsequent couple of tournaments, if you think about quarantining for a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, that's part of, part of what we're developing right now is, you know, what are the, the regulations going to be around the competition and removing players from the competition. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be obviously controlling the site itself is, is a challenge enough. And, uh, you know, what the way we're trying to do that is by limiting the number of people that are going to be on site. You know, obviously at the outset here, you know, playing without any fans and looking at how can we sort of go to more of a bare bones volunteer model where you might have a model that's a lot more like we might have all played in junior golf rather than have sort of live scoring or maybe the, the scoring is every couple of holes versus you know, on a whole by whole basis. So looking at those things within the, the site where we can control the number of people who are there, that obviously mitigates the risk, but you know, it, it, you're exactly right. You know, once people go off site, you just got to hope that the players in the interest of everybody are just smart about what the, what they're doing. Chief business officer of the Symmetra tour, Mike Nichols, my guest. And, and for many of you that, that might not know this, Symmetra tour really is an important tour in sort of building the LPGA Tour. It's, it's the, the road to the, to the LPGA Tour, uh, if you will. Mike, you've sat in this position for a while. As you start to look at the growth of the Symmetra Tour, and I include in that as well uh, the television contracts and, and um, getting the, the, the women that are playing on that tour exposure to all of us that are at home, just give us an idea what this, this TV contract um, has meant to to you and to the future growth of this tour that, uh, you know, was once 16 tournaments and playing for under $2 million to now 24 tournaments and playing over $4 million worth of prize money. Yeah, the, it's, it goes without saying that, you know, the success we've been able to, uh, to a large degree as the Symmetra Tour uh, draft off of the success that, uh, you know, Mike Wan has had on the, on the LPGA Tour. And, you know, not every uh, community is big enough or not every in terms of, it's, you know, the corporate community there to necessarily support an LPGA tournament. But people like what's happening on the LPGA Tour and the Symmetra Tour gives them the opportunity to be a part of the LPGA family of tours. And there's also something aspirational about allowing these, um, you know, being a part of the growth of these players and seeing these players, whether it's, you know, recent graduates, you know, Nellie Corder or Hannah Green, who won a major last year um, and are historical sort of um, uh, figureheads of uh, Lorena Ochoa and Inby Park, both of whom graduated off this tour to become number one in the world. So, um, you know, for a lot of people, it's just that connectivity to the LPGA. And so with the new television deal and the more exposure the LPGA gets, the obviously the, the Symmetra Tour is able to sort of draft along a, a, as a part of that success. And then the more exposure within those LPGA broadcasts as our Symmetra Tour graduates are having success, it's, it's bringing a lot more attention to this tour and the, the caliber of play that's happening here. Give us an idea for those that, that may not have gone to a, a Symmetra Tour event, and I've had a number of, of uh, young women that I've worked with who have played the Symmetra Tour, so I'm well aware of this, but give our listeners an idea of what the fan experience is like in going to a Symmetra Tour event. 
Sure. Well, um, much like the LPGA Tour, we're blessed with um, players who, frankly, we just say, you know, just get it. They understand the sort of the experience of what, how important the fans are to ultimately their ability to play golf on a week-to-week basis. So much like you see on the LPGA Tour with the marquee players staying after their round and signing autographs for all the young fans, the same thing is happening on the, uh, on the Symmetra Tour. And obviously, the, given the fact that our crowds are not going to be as big as, as they are on the LPGA Tour and the players may not have as much fanfare, our players, have that, our players are that much more accessible and have that much more time for the fans. So it's, uh, you know, for, I always say for anybody who's looking to get, you know, a young son, daughter, granddaughter, whatever the case might be, interested in golf, it's a great way to make an impression on them. And in some cases, sort of set the match and maybe create the dream of them playing golf. Now, it doesn't necessarily need to be professional golf, but having uh, interest in it in a role model. And as the event comes back from year to year, you know, the, the impression that those players make on those young fans, and then they sort of have a, a fan each year they come back. So um, I, I just can't encourage it enough for people who are trying to get that, that young person in their life interested in the, in the game, boy or girl. All right. Now, I want to ask you another question. This is going to be a little bit more of a challenging question, but um, you've been very involved in uh, sort of the the um, cohabitation, if you want to call it that, the LPGA and the uh, the the Women's European Tour and sort of the 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 marriage that that kind of exists within that. We look at, at what's going on on the the men's European Tour and and see the struggles that are taking place within that. Um, I can only imagine that there are similar challenges that the European Tour, the ladies' European Tour, is facing. As you uh, look at that, please give us an insight as to what types of struggles that, that the ladies' European Tour might be having and why. Yeah, the, you know, the biggest challenge, and it, it's sometimes hard for us to, to even contemplate it here in the United States. You know, we, we talk about how some states are ahead of other states. And, you know, if you go into certain states, maybe you have to self-quarantine or whatever the case might be. But when you, when you look at the, the footprint for whether it's the men's European tour or the ladies' European tour, that European tour footprint, the, obviously the inter-country travel yeah. is much more serious than it is just going from state to state over here. Here. And, well, you know, as I said, we've got different states that are in varying degrees of being open right now. And just consider that when you're trying to put together tournaments in various countries. So as we all know, Spain and Italy are two of the sort of the hardest hit European countries over there. And so it's like you got two issues. You got, OK, if we're having tournaments in those countries, one, getting people in there, if you have players from those countries, the, the ability they have to get out of there and then at the end of the day, depending on how sort of the resources, uh, you know, of the local authorities and whatnot is being has been deployed to fighting COVID versus golf tournaments, it's all it's all super complicated. So even if you could have a tournament, just pick, you know, pick and say, we're going to try to have a tournament here in England, then it's all of a sudden like, okay, well, we've got players from not only all over Europe, but all over the world. Can we even get them there? And so that, you know, that's almost becomes a secondary to concern to once you actually work through all the logistics of how do you have the tournament, then it becomes the next question of, okay, how can we get these players from all these various countries and know that they can get to the ultimate destination? So there, there's just so many layers to, uh, to the challenges uh, that, uh, you know, the European folks face when you have a tournament you know, it's so many countries that you're trying to make your way through. 
Chief Business Officer for the Symmetra Tour. Mike Nichols, my guest this morning. Mike, as, as I look at getting professional golf up and running again, there's some sort of inherent challenges that that recreational golf doesn't battle besides the, hey, nobody's going to be watching somebody, you know, that's a 15 handicap standing over a putt for double bogey on the 16th hole. The, the, the inherent challenge that I see is making sure that the golf course is prepared for the, these, these players to play, women, men, whatever, as well as simple things like how do you rake a bunker, how do you get a flag out of a hole, how do you get a ball out of a hole without touching the flag, all those little different things. Give us an idea as to some of the things that you all are doing on the Symmetra Tour because you don't really have the volunteer staff that you may have on the LPGA Tour or the, the PGA Tour. What, how are you guys circumventing that challenge of the simple thing like preparing the golf course from your players going out to go play? Caddies raking, are they going to carry their own rakes? Are you going to have people out on the golf course? What, what are you going to do to, uh, to try to facilitate that, that playing of golf? Yeah, so some of that, it's interesting. Some of those sorts of concerns are, it's very interesting in terms of what, and obviously, as we know, the, the sort of the knowledge of the virus is evolving. But like whether it, it, whether the virus is something that can re- readily be transferred from two people touching the flagstick or not. And like, you know, how realistic is that? But, you know, things we've talked about are, you know, as as we uh, coach the players on going out to play is, is things like, you know, having only one player in your group necessarily to tend the flagstick or, or take out the flagstick or, you know, do we have do we have a volunteer on each designated hole who's responsible for sort of uh, raking the bunkers in that area? Because, you know, part of the solution to coming back may be, you know, the players not having caddies or in some cases local caddies. So, you know, those are some of the the finer details of things that uh, we're looking at and that we're hoping sort of over the next eight weeks, you know, as our plans come together and more knowledge of sort of how how this – how this can be um, passed on from person to person uh, is impacted. Uh, that will definitely impact how we uh, we look at some of those challenges. How has the how will the Symmetra Tour be affected by this coronavirus? As, as we start thinking about you know the the tour starting back up again and. Um, the question being, well, what happens to the LPGA Tour? Will players lose cards, gain cards? Will the Symmetra Tour be playing a wraparound? How, how does this whole thing unwind itself so that the Symmetra Tour continues to do what it has done, which is support the LPGA Tour with players that are not just prepared to play the LPGA Tour, but prepared to win on the LPGA Tour? Yeah, those are, those are all uh, excellent questions, and I, that's sort of the, the million-dollar question that we're working through right now. And a lot of those answers in terms of what does an LPGA season look like or what does the Symmetra Tour season look like. And by season, I, I mean from the standpoint of, like, what where is the end of the season and what happens at the end of the season? And, you know, is it a wraparound season where it's inclusive of both, you know, 20 and 21? And, and what are some of the um, – you know what what are some of the benchmarks that we need to meet in terms of number of events we ultimately play on the Symmetra Tour. Currently we're looking at a schedule provided we can start back in uh July of uh having 16 events, which is, you know, more events than we played even back in in 2013. So 
that's a pretty decent schedule considering the circumstances. But what is the LPGA schedule going to look like? So it's, it's sort of the marrying up of those two. And if the LPGA season isn't as robust as they feel like they can complete a season necessarily, then are we in a position to um, be able to graduate players? You know, is that even a possibility? Or does the Symmetra Tour season contract to the point where it probably ju- doesn't justify uh, players graduating? So there, we're right now sort of uh, wrestling with what those various benchmarks are and, don't, you know, don't have the answer to that right now. But, I, you know, that is something that we're committed to communicate to the players before we put a tee in the ground on the Symmetra Tour or LPGA that when we get restarted in July, that they all understand what they're playing for in the tournaments that they're entered in. Talking with Mike Nichols, Chief Business Officer for the Symmetra Tour. All right, Mike, we're going to have a little fun. Every single week uh, we have LPGA players on. Mike Wan comes on, and obviously we appreciate you coming on. We ask these getting-to-know-you questions. So I've just got a couple questions for you. I just want you to just give me a little insight. They're kind of random and a little bit a little bit lighthearted. Our, my first question for you is this. If you could travel in time, where would you go and why? Would you want to go forward or would you want to go backward? Where and why? Um, I I would say I'd want to go backwards. The the one event that uh, that I that I always sort of think about, and, I, and maybe it's uh, I've always sort of loved NASA, loved the idea of space. People who know me know my favorite movie is Apollo thirteen, and I always sort of wonder what it would have been like to watch the moon landing. So you know, back in July 20, 1969, I would have loved to have been born and of an age where I could understand what was happening there. Cause that, uh, it's so amazing what they were able to do with, you know, slide rules and protractors and stuff like that to put a man on the moon. I, I can't even imagine the fact that we do it today amazes me, you know, um, yeah. in terms of getting people up in space, but, uh, that would be, that would be an event I'd love to, uh, relive. All right. Now I got one more for you here. You, you're going to have dinner. You got three choices as to who's sitting at the dinner table. I'll give you four. Um, it doesn't matter any any era, any any player, any person, whoever it is. You got dinner. You get four people that are going to sit around with you at the and, it, and it's not family. No family members on this one. They got to be outside of the family. Who are the four people? Three or four people that you want to have at the at the dinner table and why? Oh God, probably uh, probably start with. Um... You know, I, I'm sort of I into think politics. Neil Armstrong, so would, right? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, Neil Armstrong. That would probably be. A, yeah, I, why that's wouldn't you have one Neil? Of my regrets Come on. That, uh, that he was Neil Armstrong. Um, you know, love politicians. So may, maybe, I, maybe a blended. So maybe I should have John Glenn. You know, U.S. senator yep. and uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, astronaut, obviously. But uh, you know, a, a lover of politics. You know, maybe Ronald Reagan, John F. Kennedy, and Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. Good for you. Hey, Mike, we appreciate the time. Continued good luck with everything. I know these are challenging times, but uh, I, I know that you and Mike have your, your finger on the pulse of this, this uh, situation. So we wish you, wish you well with all of it. And, and once again, thank you for, for coming on the show. Excellent. Thanks, uh, Michael, for your support of the LPGA Symmetra Tours. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. That's Mike Nichols, the chief business officer for the Symmetra Tour. Always appreciate that. How about that? Lover of going to the moon. Don't we all want to shoot for that kind of goal? You're listening to A New Breed of Golf on Sirius 208, XM92, PGA Tour Radio. We'll be back.